Hi, welcome to Deep Run Church Online. I'm Pastor Brian LoPiccolo. It's good to see you. Thanks for finding us. I'm glad you did. I'm broadcasting to you from my home in Westminster, Maryland. My office is, I can't get to my office because of quarantine, so we're doing this uh, from my home today. It's good to see you all. Our scripture reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Our church has been spending the last several months studying Jesus' most famous public address, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Probably over the last 2,000 years, the most talked about, written about, commented on passage of the New Testament. It's often misunderstood, but it is essential to understanding Christianity, to understanding the Christian life, to understanding what Jesus Christ was all about when he was here. And really, for the Christ follower, the Sermon on the Mount is essential to understanding what it means to follow Jesus and be his disciple. So today, again, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is God's Word. So we've seen how Jesus Christ, in His Sermon on the Mount, has been saying that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven and inherit all that God has prepared, in eternity, for his sons and daughters. You need to possess a greater righteousness than the best of human attempts at religion have to offer. A righteousness, Jesus said, that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, what does that greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about look like in your personal religion, in your personal walk of faith, in your own spiritual disciplines, and spiritual habits. What does this greater righteousness look like practically? You remember Jesus saying in the first verse of Matthew chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is in, in these several verses, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is striking at the heart of what motivates so much religion and spirituality in the world. Last week, we saw that there's a temptation to be generous, to give in order to be noticed by other people. And today, we're going to see that there's also a temptation to pray in order to be noticed. Prayer is the second of Jesus Christ's three examples here of what true religion looks like in our daily habits, what righteous religion looks like. Now, according to research, 55% of Americans 
pray every day. 55%. And as the worldly average goes, which is 49%, that makes America a bit unique amongst the wealthy uh, first, uh, first world nations. 55% of Americans pray. Uh, so at least half of the people listening and watching, maybe you pray on a regular basis. Maybe you pray every day. Why? When you pray, why do you pray? Because today, in this passage, Jesus exposes two, two infections in the human heart regarding prayer. And the first one is this, our need to feel like we have to impress people in our prayer life. The other is this, the need to feel like we have to induce God, make Him act and respond to us. So the need to impress and the need to induce. The first is motivated by vanity. The other is motivated by fear. The need to impress other people by our prayer life is based on the fact that we're often insecure. The need to feel like we have to induce and manipulate and force God into action through our prayer life is because we're superstitious. So impress or induce. The first uses religion to promote yourself. And the second uses religion to control your surroundings. But what you're going to see today in what Jesus is saying is that the healthiest prayer, the healthiest prayer life, approaches God as a father who intimately knows you. True biblical prayer, the type of prayer that Jesus wants us to embrace and understand and practice is a prayer life that approaches God as a father who knows you intimately and wants you to pray to him. So I'm going to talk about the prayers of religion, the prayers of faith, and the prayers of Jesus Christ. The prayers of common religion, the prayers of true faith, and then trying to understand what Jesus was doing in his prayer life. So the prayer of common religion, and, and look, uh, I don't think religion is necessarily a bad thing, and in many ways it's a very good thing. Uh, but today I'm going to use the word religion in a very general sense and slightly, slightly in a negative sense. I think you'll understand as we continue. The prayer of common religion is really man-centered at God's expense. In general, prayer practiced by humanity is, is human-centered at God's expense. Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus addresses two mindsets in this passage. First of all, Jesus addresses a temptation in, in his ancient Jewish surroundings, the ancient Jewish mindset um, of moralism in how people would pray. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So by Jesus's day, the first century, and actually for many centuries before Jesus's time, it had become a routine thing uh, for, for uh, well-meaning, devout, 
of faithful practicing Jews uh, to go through a process of daily prayers. This was very prominent in the religion of the Jews. Uh, So much that if you go to passages in the book of Daniel, you can see Daniel's own prayer habits uh, resembling uh, the regular prayer hours of the Jewish day. Uh, If you go to the book of Acts, you will also see uh, the apostles and the Jews practicing uh, daily prayer, certain hours of prayer where wherever you were and whatever you were doing, you would stop, you would turn towards Jerusalem, and you would pray. Now, this, this wasn't something, that, this wasn't a practice or a routine that was commanded in the Old Testament Mosaic Law, uh, but there, there was certainly nothing wrong with it if it was sincere. Uh, but many New Testament scholars think that this is what Jesus was, was getting at uh, by talking about uh, people who pray in the synagogues and, and specifically people who are praying on the street corners. What's that all about? Well, scholars say that if you want it to be noticed when you were praying. If you wanted to be heard by other people when you were praying, you could. You could look ahead at your day and you could position yourself and you could time your day so that when the hours of prayer came, you might just happen to be in a public square. You might just happen to be on a street corner, someone, somewhere where someone would notice you and hear you pray. Uh, Imagine today, timing it just right so that at the hour of prayer, you'd be in the middle of a Starbucks, or you'd be just getting ready to share your Instagram stories, and it's time to pray live for everybody to see. And you know, in our contemporary culture, in our contemporary church-going religious mindset, uh, there, there, there is an assumption. It's an unspoken assumption, but there's an assumption that that style and form and the content of prayers really reflect the devotion, the religious and spiritual devotion of the person praying. And we, in a sense, think that the more eloquent the prayer, the more passionate, the more informed the prayer, the more spiritual uh, the one who's praying it must be. And so uh, I think the evidence of this is that some people, you've probably felt this way yourself, and as a pastor, I've certainly heard people say this to me, uh, some people feel embarrassed to pray out loud openly in front of other people uh, because they they just think they sound so simple or simplistic or or dumb. They feel like they they don't know what to say or they don't have anything to say. They don't pray like clergymen, like professional men and women in ministry. And, and so, so Jesus really was exposing a tendency to feel like you need to impress people with your prayer life. But Jesus was also addressing uh, the Gentile mindset, the pagan mindset that was prevalent in ancient uh, pagan religions and prayer practices. He, said in ver- he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So think of, uh, think of the chants, the incantations, the repetitive frenzies of, of some religious rituals. Uh, think of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. Think of how the prophets of Baal for like four hours uh, continued to recite louder and louder incantations and began mutilating themselves, cutting themselves 
all unsuccessfully. They could not get fire to come down from heaven. Think of, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, how the citizens of Ephesus, because of their anger uh, that, that the message of Christianity was, was, was not only moving forward and changing their community, but was actually impacting their business negatively, uh, they began shouting in public for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Right, remember things like that, and, and, and you realize that the ancient, the ancient pagan mentality is this, was this. The gods can't be trusted, but they can be manipulated. If you talk more, if you speak louder, and if you do more. And actually, I, I think our contemporary culture has a lot in common uh, with the ancient pagan way of, of looking at religion and prayer practices. The contemporary unchurched mindset, and maybe you're listening in and you're coming from um, an unchurched perspective, you don't believe uh, you're very religious, um, you don't believe you're a believer. Uh, but the contemporary unchurched mindset also assumes that our well-being is really up to us in the end. That if you work harder, if you talk louder, if you raise awareness relentlessly of a need or an issue, Ultimately, you can save yourselves. We can save ourselves if we try hard enough, if we talk loud enough, if we spread the word. And if God does exist, well, maybe, maybe he'll help us. Uh, think, think, think about it this way. Um, some important concepts, some important endeavors in our world, environmentalism, civil rights, even politics or scientific advancements, now, these are, these are all good things, right? Like Olaf says, all good things, all good things. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing any of these. We shouldn't be involved in these endeavors. But people often think, from a secular perspective, if you work hard at these things, if you talk loud, if you relentlessly raise awareness, humanity can save itself. And if there is a God out there, and if he does exist, if he is good, if he's loving, maybe he'll help us if we help ourselves first. And so Jesus, and actually, it's always impressive to see how this ancient Bible is so relevant for today. Jesus and the Bible here confront two common mindsets of the ancient world and today's world, that people use prayer as a means to impress others. They use prayer as a means to achieve status. And people also use prayer as a means to induce manipulate, coerce God into acting and doing what they want him to do. In a sense, in order to control their environment. So people use prayer for a status thing and people use prayer as a control thing. And as Tim Keller says, people, people are really just using God. In general, people use God. This is man-centered prayer at God's expense. So Jesus, as, as the Sermon on the Mount repeatedly shows us, uh, Jesus gives us a vision for a radically different approach to prayer. Radically different approach. And so the prayer of true faith is God-centered at your, your own expense. The type of prayer that Jesus is talking about is God-centered prayer at your own expense, at the self's expense. 
Jesus says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what room is Jesus talking about? Uh, Well, in those days in ancient Palestine, there was probably only one room in the house that had a door. It was the inner room. The word that Jesus is using here also could mean a storehouse or a barn. And here's the idea. Jesus is basically saying, in our terminology, you want to pray, okay, go go into your utility closet. Go into your pantry. Pray there. You know, that little room, that little dark room in the house where you keep your non-perishable foods, that room where you keep your your cleaning chemicals and your mops and your brooms, go in there. Pray to your Heavenly Father there. Now, what's the point of this? Are are we supposed to take him literalistically? No, of course not. Jesus is using exaggerated imagery to make a point, and this is his point. Pray as though nobody is watching. Pray as though nobody's watching, whether you're in public ministry, like I am, or you're a leader in ministry, and and people hear you and see you praying in front of them publicly uh, quite often, whether whether you're in public ministry or, or whether the only time you pray is in your private devotions. Prayer is essentially intimacy with God. Prayer is about a relationship with God. This is why the prayers to impress other people or the prayers to induce God into action, this is why they mock true prayer. This is why they insult the true God. Because we all know that people in authentic relationships don't act like that. People in legitimate, intimate relationships don't manipulate one another or try to impress one another. It's the same in your prayer life, Jesus is saying. Uh, The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones in London in the middle of the 1950s uh, uh, preached a great series on the Sermon on the Mount. And and in this passage, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones applied uh, this passage to our prayer life by saying that faith-guided prayer, uh, Bible-informed faith-guided prayer exhibits three things. This is what true prayer from from Christ's perspective, looks like. It's about three things, exclusion, realization, and confidence. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones meant by exclusion is this. Whether you pray in private or you pray in public, Christian prayer is exclusively to God and exclusively for God. And Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote that as a preacher, he, he said, I have to, when I'm praying in public, I have to shut out and forget other people. Even though they're all around me and I may be praying for their needs, I have to shut them out and forget about them while I pray to my creator. He, and then he goes on to say, I even have to shut out and forget myself when I'm praying to my creator. Now, exclusion, he doesn't mean social exclusion. Rather, he means focusing your heart, focusing your mind, on one listener, praying to him, praying for him. Not only is biblical Christian prayer about exclusion, but it is about realization also. He goes on to say that you have to realize who you're talking to, who you're communing with. 
you have to realize that God defines himself, that you do not define him. You are talking to the great I am. You are talking to the one who simply is. We don't define him. God defines himself. That's who we're praying to, the holy creator, who is truth, who is light, who is just and merciful, who is terrible and compassionate and kind. And for the believer, the Bible says, for, for the person who is literally, in a spiritual sense, reborn, born again, with a new life, a new identity, a new existence, this God that you're praying to is actually your heavenly Father, who knows you intimately, who loves you, and knows what you need while you're praying to Him. Even before you open your mouth, as David said in Psalm 139, He knows everything that's going to come out. He knows everything you're going to ask Him for, and He knows what you need. So prayer is about exclusion, prayer is about realization, and finally, Martin Lloyd-Jones says prayer is about confidence. Confidence that God's plan can't be thwarted. That if this God who defines himself is who he says he is and is all of these things that you have realized in your prayer, then his plans can't be changed, that he keeps all of his promises, and that he will stay true to himself. Right? And if this God stays true to himself and who he is, then, then as you pray, you can expect him to listen to you. You can expect him to answer you. You can, you can expect this God to provide for you and to help in his timing, according to his wisdom. Right? So, so Christian prayer, biblical prayer, is about exclusion. It is about realization it is about confidence. You are exclusively praying to God and for God alone, realizing that he is who he says he is according to how he defines himself, and based on that, praying with confidence that he will listen, that he will answer, that he will provide in his wisdom and in his timing. Now, I, I hope you're beginning to see that you can really only have intimate, authentic prayer if you trust God, the only way to have an authentic, legitimate, intimate prayer life is if you actually trust this God of the Bible. And so Jesus says in, in verse 8, this is why he says, stop praying like the religious hypocrites and, and stop praying like the godless pagans. Why does he say that? He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the classic objection to this is, is to basically say, well, so if, if God already knows what I need, why am I praying? Why pray at all if he already knows what we need? Isn't it pointless? Well, the, the ancient church father, Augustine of Hippo, answered that objection. He said, we are not always ready to receive since we are inclined toward other things and are involved in darkness through our desire for temporal things. Hence, there is brought about in prayer a turning of the heart to God, who is ever ready to give if we will but take what he has given. You see, Augustine understood that a loving parent redirects very patiently, very lovingly and wisely redirects a child's attention away from what is wanted towards what is truly needed. And so really, Jesus 
is redirecting us to pray to a God who is our Father, not just our Creator, not just some impersonal force. Jesus is telling us, pray to a heavenly Father who knows you intimately and knows what you need before you even ask for it. Pray as though you are speaking and interacting only with him, whether you're in private or whether you're in public. Pray to a God who's your Father. And sure enough, what does he do? The very next passage in Matthew chapter 6 is the Lord's Prayer, which begins with the phrase, Our Father in heaven. And stay tuned in the coming weeks because we're going to talk more about prayer. And specifically, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in the near future. So notice, notice how Jesus really understood our hang-ups. You see how Jesus really understood the human condition. He understands what your hang-ups are when you think about prayer whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you don't know what you believe or who you believe in, Jesus really understood our hang-ups. Here's the proof. He, he, look at his encouragement to believers. He's basically saying to believers in this passage, why bother trying to impress people with your prayer life if your heavenly Father is going to reward you someday and tell you that he's proud of you and he loves you? Why bother impressing other people if you know that your God is going to thinks of you that way? And his encouragement to those who doubt and to those who are skeptical and those who don't believe his encouragement to unbelievers is, why bother trying to manipulate your creator when he already knows what you need? And the frightening thing and all that Jesus is saying here is this. Go back and look at verse 5. He says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Right? If, if, prayer, if your prayer life and your religion are about impressing other people and gaining moral status, social status, if, if your prayer life and your religion are about coercing, manipulating, superstitiously forcing God's hand and thinking that you can get him to act and that you can somehow control God, if, if, if these things are what your religion is about or what your spirituality is ultimately about, then, then this is really scary what Jesus is saying. In this life, whatever you're doing, however you're praying, however you're thinking about your God and religion, enjoy your reward now. The frightening thing is that for all of your efforts to seem spiritual, for all of your efforts to get God's attention, he may not be listening. After all of that, he may not be listening. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, sin is basically self-worship, self-adulation, self-praise, and it's so sneaky when it comes to religion. He said, something, sin is something that follows you even into the very presence of God. Remember, Satan was the most beautiful and glorious and greatest angel, and he even fell from the presence of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, sin is something that follows us even into the very presence of God. Even when we try to persuade ourselves that we are worshiping God, we are actually worshiping ourselves and doing nothing more. 
But Jesus not only understood your hang-ups with prayer and religion. Jesus actually did something about it. Jesus is a God who did something about it to draw you into an intimate relationship with Him, which is really what prayer is all about. The prayers of Jesus Christ in His life on earth and His continual prayers for His people is really what helps us get from our hang-ups with prayer to true intimacy, genuine relationship in prayer with our God, who says He wants to be our Heavenly Father. Jesus sometimes prayed in public before hundreds or thousands of people. Sometimes Jesus prayed alone in the wilderness. But regardless of when and how and where he was when he prayed and who was there, Christ's prayers were always God-centered at his own expense. Christ always prayed and lived a prayer life of faith. He even prayed the night before he was betrayed and executed on a Roman cross. And he even prayed on that Roman cross while he hung there. And the night before that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, we are told in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 26, that Jesus, in great distress, sweating drops of blood, he was so frightened about what he had to endure, uh, he fell to his knees, Matthew tells us, and he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That, friends, may have been the most important words ever uttered in prayer in the history of the human race when the Son of God said, My Father, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the musician Michael Card said that far more painful than the physical death Jesus was about to faith was was about to face was the death of his will. Not, not the death of his body, but the death of his will. That was the real battle for Christ while he prayed in the garden. And while he hung on that cross was the death of his own will as a human being to protect himself. He gave himself up. He killed his own will. That is God-centered prayer at your own expense. The prayers of the Son of God were exclusively for the Heavenly Father. The prayers of Jesus were realistically about God for who he truly is. And the prayers of Jesus Christ were confident that his heavenly Father would answer him. And God answered the prayers of Jesus Christ. To not abandon him to the grave. To not leave us all as God's enemies. But to unite us. To adopt us. To forgive us because we didn't know what we were doing when we sent him to the cross for our own sins. Do you see that God answered the prayers of the righteous Jesus Christ? And, and, and the reason God answered those prayers was because Jesus prayed in a God-centered way at his own expense. When you think about the fact that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are forgiven. 
You have eternal life and peace and joy, and you have been adopted into the family of God as his daughter, as his son. And once a daughter and once a son, always a daughter, always a son. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ prove that God loves to answer the prayers of his children. And whether you are coming at this from a religious background and perspective or or from a irreligious, uh, skeptical, unbelieving mindset, whatever your background, whatever your mindset is, do you understand what Jesus is offering you? Not only in your prayers, but in your very existence. Jesus is offering you the promise for now, for all that we're going through right now in this world, the promise now. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he offers you for the future one day when you see him face to face, where he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. This is, the, this is the assurance that Jesus offers you now, the assurance of his presence with you every day and the expectation of his pleasure, his reward, his love when you see him someday. And this, friends, is the true foundation of real, legitimate prayer of faith. The assurance of Jesus' constant presence through this life and the expectation of his joy and pleasure and reward when you see him one day. So the healthiest prayer life, the healthiest prayer habits, whether in private or in public, is a prayer life that approaches God as your heavenly father, a father who intimately knows you and will answer you and will move and will provide. But as a loving parent, as a wise parent, in his timing, and in his way. So trust him. Look, God's enemies pray to impress one another and pray to induce and manipulate him into action. You don't need to do that. God's children, children draw close to a loving parent. Children draw close to listen. And children ask expectantly. And and children wait for a wise and abundant response. You want to engage in faith-based prayer right now? You want to do that? Then walk through your neighborhood. And if, and if you can't walk through your neighborhood, just scroll through your friends list on social media. Walk through your neighborhood or scroll through your friends list and in your heart's prayer closet, pray for every household. Pray for the needs of every household. Pray for the needs of every individual. And you know what? No one may ever see, no one may ever know that you've done that. But God will see it. God will hear it. God will know. God will never forget it. And so we discover in God-centered, selfless prayer. We discover that when we pray to God alone at our own expense, We discover that God not only blesses us, but God, through those prayers, blesses other people. Just as God blessed you and blessed me and blessed the world through the selfless, God-centered prayers of Jesus our Lord. So trust Him. You, You don't have to manipulate 
God. You can't anyway, but you don't have to try. He wants to help you. He's offering to know you. He's offering for you to know him. Let him do that. Trust him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and and forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, teach us how to pray like this. Teach us how to pray with Christ's priorities, with your priorities, with the priorities of your coming kingdom. Teach us how to pray as our Lord did selflessly, centered upon you and you alone. And Lord, through our legitimate, intimate, authentic prayer life with you, would you bless this world, even as you draw us closer to yourself. In the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who prayed on our behalf as he suffered, who even prays on our behalf now before your throne, so that we live and stand and pray in his righteousness. Amen. The last thing I want to mention is that Good Friday and Easter Sunday are a week away. So look for updates on what we're going to provide online for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday. Uh, Until then, have a blessed Holy Week. May we be on our knees in prayer and even in fasting when appropriate, that the Lord would bless humanity, that the Lord would bless our planet, that the Lord would bless nations and people groups, and that the Lord would heal our land, and that the Lord would speak more than healing us and protecting us physically, that the Lord would speak his salvation and his peace and his forgiveness and his righteousness and his justice and his love to all humans who desperately need it. Would you pray that way with me throughout the week? I love you. I miss you. Be well. Wash your hands. Even though the coronavirus has kept you in, don't let it get you down. See you soon.